Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church or for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. And you can contact us as well by email, ogc at accessradio.biz, biz is spelled B-I-Z, and check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity. So please enjoy today's guest, especially as we are celebrating our 50th episode of Off Grid Christianity. Our guest today was actually our very first guest in episode one. He's a fully qualified psychotherapist and a former vicar in Staffordshire. He also has co-written a book, Lightning from Heaven, for a major publisher. So why is today's special episode called Prayer and Mental Health, or alternative title, I Can't Have Mental Health Issues as I'm a Christian? Why does our guest want to discuss this title? Has he got enough to share in an hour? Have I got any questions to ask him? Let's find out as we welcome back to Off Grid Christianity, Peter Mockford. Peter, thank you for joining us today. You're shaking head. What did that mean? <laughs> I was just saying, Martin, well, have we got enough, inf- enough uh, stuff for an hour? I'm not too sure, but we'll see how we go. Where are we speaking to you from today, sir? Uh, you're speaking to me from uh, Rushton, which is on the edge of Taunton, to which we uh, came to about three years ago after reti- uh, retiring as a vicar in the Church of England. Fantastic. Right, fingers on the pulse of life sort of thing, because we've got new questions for you. You had the original questions last year. Beethoven is teletransported to your home and he wants to hear what music is like in 2023. What gig or concert would you take him to? Heavy metal. Very good. Any particular band? Uh, not particularly. I mean, if, if, if we're going back a bit, things like Alice Cooper, that would do fine. Uh, my suspicion is that he'd enjoy it. Hmm, I think so. Because it was a bit rakish, was, was Beethoven, but, you know, so I, I think he might well like it. There's just the rawness of the emotion. Exactly. And we now know what kind of deafness he had. And so consequently, he loved the bass notes even more. Correct. Question two, if you could go back in time and watch any sporting event or an entertainment event live with a front row seat, what would it be? Well, I quite fancy when South Africa won the uh, Rugby World Cup. With Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. That would be a great occasion to be at. Yeah. Nelson Mandela wasn't playing, I hasten to add, but he did wear the shirt, didn't he? Yeah, quite. Which was fantastic. Yeah, that's a good call. Question three, if you could invite a biblical character for an evening meal so you could ask some questions, what would it be? Well, I think I'd invite Ezekiel. Because? Because he was as loopy as a fruitcake. And I'd just be really interested to meet this guy, to see what kind of character he was. I mean, I, my suspicion is it would be a chaotic evening, but that's OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's better than your first answer that you gave a year ago, where you... <laughs> Well, you, you, your favourite biblical character was Balaam's ass. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, OK. <laughs> right, so I'm improving slightly, you know. You're doing well, yeah, it's great. Since we last met in episode one, what personal event stands out the most and why? Well, I, can't, I thought about this and I thought, there's actually not a great deal of personal events that I can legitimately share, but I was thinking that actually the thing I've really enjoyed over the last year or so, which is quite odd, is cycling. Okay. So and it's quite good being where we are because we're on the Somerset level, so it's very flat. Mm-hmm. So you can just cruise along. And if you have an electric bike like I've got, it's even better. Well, that's not cycling, is it? Oh, well, yeah, not really. But I mean, I, so I can wander along these quiet lanes and uh, not, not get mowed down except by tractors. Oh, yes. I could tell you stories about tractors over here. Oh, yeah. Moving on. Thank you, sir, for that. Got a better understanding of who you are, maybe. (laughs) So for those who don't know who Peter Mockford is and haven't listened to episode one yet, just give us a a brief summary of your good self, sir. Right. I was a businessman in in East Africa for a while, and then the Lord called me into the Church of England. So 
So I ended up in the Church of England and then, first of all, in Tamworth and then in Stoke-on-Trent, where I was vicar for 25 years. And while I was there, we ran the, I ran the uh, deliverance ministry for the diocese there, written a couple of books on the deliverance ministry. And then I became a psychotherapist when I was actually, when I was a vicar, because I was seeing things happen in the deliverance ministry and the healing ministry. And I thought, you know, what is this really about? And the Almighty was quite clear, get yourself qualified as a secular psychotherapist, and then, then at least people will take you seriously about the deliverance ministry, because you should be able to tell roughly what's the difference between the demonic and the psychological. Uh, so that was the original reason I, be, I did the psychotherapy. And then things started getting very busy, and I thought, Lord, actually can't keep going at this pace. What needs to stop? And it felt right to move out of the parish ministry, and we came down to Somerset. And really then, since then, the, the psychotherapy practices has just taken off. And I see mainly uh, church ministers uh, and their families. And I'm also chairman of the church's ministerial counselling service. And we cater for all the most of the major denominations in this country. What does that title actually mean then, Peter? What, the church's ministerial counselling service? Yeah. Well, well it basically, it's an organisation. We have 250 or so counsellors on our books. And we cater for all the ministers in the URC, the Baptists, uh, the Methodists, uh, a number of the Anglican dioceses, and a number of, of the of the non-mainstream churches. And so they can basically, when, when their leaders have, have, have crises and need to see somebody, they've got a confidential service that they can come and see someone who's properly qualified. Got you. Obviously, no names, no pack drill, but what's the general thread, do you think, that's running through at the moment as to why people see you? Well, if, if you look at if you look at um, the interesting thing is we get statistics in from the church's ministerial council ser- counselling service, and we look at what are the major presenting issues. And by far the major presenting issue is anxiety and stress. Oh, really? And there are a whole host of reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is that since COVID, I think the church is having to rethink what it actually looks like and the pressures that have gone on in terms of finance. I think the Church of England statistics are showing there's about a 20% drop in uh, church attendance. All of this puts pressure on your church leader. And when you get pressure put on you or stress put on you, you the weaknesses that we have that are contained within the fabric of our psyche, when that fabric gets stretched, they tend to come through. Mm -hmm. That's when people really need help. And what kind of stress are they predominantly having when they come to see you? Well, the stress can be... Varied. It can be stress from the denomination to, you know, to produce the required amount of finance. It can be stress most commonly internally from congregations of different uh, denominations. You know, they're not measuring up or they're not doing what the, you know, the congregation really wants them to do. It, it can be, have a whole variety. It can be you know, personal stress. It can be relational stress. But generally, I mean, we've noticed in the last two to three years, probably about a 30 to 40% increase in the number of referrals that are coming through now. Why? Well, because the stress level's gone up, basically. 30 40% increase. Mm-hmm. Is that because people are now realising that stress is a really important topic or because it's been swept under carpet for such a long time beforehand? What, what do you think? No, I just think the stress level's increased because since COVID or during COVID and then and, and, and subsequently, most churches are having to rethink what they do and how they do it. The majority have gone back to what they were doing, but the reality is that that paradigm no longer seems to be really working. Mm. That increases the stress on the leadership because actually how are you then supposed to operate? 
you know, how is your church supposed to be valid in the community that it, it's serving? So the increased stress levels are kind of fairly understandable, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there much of a difference between a, a, a vicar or a minister in a rural place for the farms and, and comparing them to people who are in a city London, let's say? I don't think it makes any difference. I think the stresses will be different, but I think the reality is the stress factors are there and they've only increased since COVID. So $64,000 question then, what can the leaders of the churches, what can they do about it? Well, I think I think some churches are rethinking, actually, what is the paradigm of church in any case? Mm. Traditional ways of doing church, the, the reality is that it's not working very well in this, you know, certainly in this country, in terms of outreach, in terms of the gospel, and actually being relevant to the people that they serve. So I think that there is a massive shift coming, but it but it's not coming in terms yet of how you view leadership. You know, there are different kind of paradigms coming out, but it's still very much seen as, you know, the leader is in charge and therefore is subject to all the projections and the stresses of all everybody else, really. But, and so I think there has to be a rethinking sometimes of, of what leadership is and how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 40 years ago, certainly when I was at school, if you said you were going to see a psychotherapist or even a therapist, people would think, oh, well, look, at that's only what Americans do. It seems, I think, this changed now that people can actually say that actually is a good thing. What, what have you seen in the way of that? Well, I, I think there's been a major shift. And I think one of the shifts, I mean, that I do know about, it's, you know, it's certainly, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury coming out, you know, Welby saying, look, you know, he suffers from mental health issues and so on. Yeah. So it's become much more, I won't say acceptable, but it's become something that's recognised much more and valid much more. And I, I think people are accessing these services now uh, much more readily. At least I hope they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you very kindly contacted me to say that you'd like to talk about prayer and mental health. And I thought, well, that'd be really good because we've got our 50th episode coming up. So before we talk about that, one final question, and that is there's an organisation now spreading through America called the Duns. And basically it's people, like you've been saying, who, you know, 20% drop off and going back to church. In America, people are not going back to church, and some of them have called themselves the Duns because they're just done with going to church. They might yeah. not have forgotten who Jesus is. It's just the fact that they just don't want to go to church because backstabbing, whatever you call it, they don't want to go. What have you seen from your point of view on that? I think that's probably true. I think the other thing I would say is is that I think a lot of the drop-off has, has come simply because people are not prepared to go back to doing what they were doing. Mm. I think the two years lockdown changed something, you know, of those lockdown periods, changed something in people's mindset that actually, unless people were locked in relationally um, and had the relationships that actually within within their particular faith community, then actually it was very, very easy to drift off. Mm. I think the churches that have done best out of it are those who, who actually have structures whereby those relationships were sustained and actually there was a good way of operating with them. It doesn't help if your kind of way of doing church was to meet on a Sunday only, because then that actually just went totally. But if you had a relational base that you were meeting in small groups on Zoom or whatever it is once a week, as well as Sundays and so on, the odds are that relationally um, you are held much in, in a much more positive fashion. So you're much more likely to come back to church, which going on to, to which, I know you've probably heard this quote, this quote Johann Hari, who was, a, who was a journalist, he said that 
the opposite of addiction is not freedom. The opposite of addiction is connection. And what he meant by that was that actually the most critical thing is how you connect, you know, person to person. Mm -hmm. And actually addiction is often the response to a lack of connection. And particularly when you look at early life, that's particularly the case. A lack of connection or trauma in, in, in younger years often leads to addictions and various mental health problems later in life. Mm-hmm. But the root of it is the lack of connection. Now, in psychotherapeutic terms, you talk about a lack of connection with the primary caregiver, which is normally mother, it doesn't have to be. But the truth about all that of this is, is that actually connection is the absolute key. Connecting one person with another, with a group of people. And I think that's what Jonathan Hari was getting at, really. And I think that was the problem in the churches, that actually where there was a lack of connection, actually people had no roots. And so it was it was easy to drift off hmm. after, after, after COVID and whatever it is. But I guess I became really interested in, you know, mental health and the church. When I, when I was given a comment by a, a colleague of mine that really irritated me, which was the church has the capacity to be a low grade therapeutic community. And I thought, hang on a minute. You, you know, the Christian church holds itself up as being, you know, okay, the Christ is the answer and so on and so forth. But how come he's not really the answer to mental health? And part of me looked at that statement, actually agreed with him because I thought actually, you know, most Christian communities really do not operate well. Mm-hmm. and actually can be quite toxic places to be in. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, we, we, we really have to start grappling with and looking at how the church can be a place of healing and wholeness in terms of mental health and actually start dealing with some of the issues. So that's, how I got, that's how I got involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we go to that question then, you've mentioned the C word, COVID. Yeah. Surely we could actually turn it around and twist it and say, actually, there have been benefits coming out from, from the church in light, of, in light of what you've been saying because there's been Zoom. People have been able to for instance, communicate instead of just going to church on a Sunday? Or am I being a bit too kind? Yeah, I don't buy that. Because? Because although Zoom is a form of connection and and it's better than nothing, actually, I still think that by far the best connection is made face-to-face with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that one is not a substitute for the other. There are times when one has to use Zoom, and I agree with that. But I do think... In the main, it's not a good form of, of connection, really. What about a church service then? Instead of going to the church, actually watching it online. I, well, I agree with. I, I mean, I, I agree that people can do that. You know, and I've done it myself. And sometimes one does it because actually one gets. You know, you've got the opportunity to go through to hundreds of churches, really. And sometimes the teaching is better in one than another. But the, the problem with that again is the same issue. Mm-hmm. Where is the genuine connection? Where is the genuine connection with people? I mean, Jesus talked about, you know, the body of Christ and so on. And, you know, Paul goes on about it at length. He didn't have in mind a kind of loose connection. Hmm. He had had in mind a living, vibrant community. And I think that the idea of connection is absolutely key to both to church and to faith. Tell me more. Well, when you look at look at Jesus's some of Jesus's comments in John's Gospel, for example, he talks about we will make our home with them, with him. And I think that the connection that we have to have both with Christ 
is one that's ongoing and should be deepening all the time, in theory. Mm -hmm. And ditto, that has to be seen in the connections and the relationships that we have with one another. And if that's been pushed and actually been properly developed, then great healing flows from that. But it's having that genuine connection, genuine meeting, being able to be fully present with the other person. Okay, thank you. So let's go to the title then that you phoned through, Prayer and Mental Health. And I then <laughs> twisted it a bit and said, the third title could be, I can't have mental health issues as I'm a Christian. Right. Which one do you want to go for? Well, let's tackle that one first. I mean, let's think about mental health for starters, that actually we've all got mental health issues. Mm -hmm. The only question is how severe are they? Yes. And that's the issue. So we all have them. There's no doubt about it because none of us have had a perfect upbringing. So we've all, we're all carrying the wounds of, you know, of our upbringing and so on. Mm -hmm. So recent research you're probably aware of is the adverse childhood experience research that was done in the United States. Years ago, what they found was a direct correlation with the adverse experience in childhood with later mental health, physical health, addiction, obesity, and so on. So they could work out if you'd had you know, the, I think they, they have six categories of adverse childhood experience, which include things like kind of physical abuse, mental abuse, neglect, uh, sexual abuse, and so on. And if you basically have had more than three or four of these happen to you in the first four or five years of life, then if it's not dealt with, you can guarantee that there are going to be these later problems in life. Right. So the, the truth is that all of us, none of us have a perfect childhood. So we've all, we've all going to have mental weaknesses or mental health issues at some point or another, or most of us. Yes. And how we then deal with that is really, really important in the church. Because it's one of the very few places, the church, certainly in Western society, where actually the focus should be on Christ and actually having the relationships that Christ actually has with us, we're supposed to have with one another. Mm -hmm. Now, if we genuinely did that, then actually it would see a genuine outpouring, an acceptance of one another, a non-judgment of one another. I mean, Christ went out, you know, to the poor, to the needy, to those who were rejected by society, and he just loved them and welcomed them. And that kind of love and care is what we critically need. Yes. And I do think that sometimes in the church, we don't quite get that. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're very focused on things. I, to give you an example around kind of understanding trauma. I mean, first of all, trauma is not so much what happens, but how you respond internally. Because the same thing can happen to two people and they respond completely differently. Yes. Same event, they respond differently. So trauma is the experience internally of what actually happens to you and i think the church has to realize that the primary kind of working out of trauma it was actually laid down quite a few years ago by a guy called dr pierre janet and he said three things have to happen the first and the most important is safety and stabilization mm -hmm. so above all the church needs to be a place of safety and stabilizing this is really quite important when it comes to prayer because sometimes i've listened to people kind of praying and you know someone's howling their eyes out and so on and it's a really traumatic situation it should never be allowed to get there 
because actually that person is just getting probably re-traumatized by actually telling their story. They can't tell their story without getting really upset. They're getting re-traumatized. So that old line then, uh, a trouble shared is a trouble halved, is rubbish. It's not necessarily true. Yeah. What needs to happen is actually, first of all, safety and stabilization. And if necessary, we need to stop people telling their stories if they're getting really upset and say, look, when you can tell your story and without getting massively upset and you feel safe enough to do so inside as well as here, then you can tell your story. In the meantime, we need to pray for you that actually God's hands support you and uphold you. Mm -hmm. Actually, his stability and his love surrounds you. And I think sometimes the church is far too quick to say, okay, well, what's your story, you know, and and listen to it and encourage people to speak. And actually, they're not in a place to do so yet. Safety and stabilization are the most critical things. And Jesus was very good, you know, he was very good at this. You know, he worked, walked with the disciples for three years. He gave real safety, real stability. And we need that real the safety and the stability of Christ within our, within our congregations. So it's really important in prayer to work out what's actually happening, to say, okay, and if someone's getting really upset, you know, and pouring out the thing, stop them. Say, look, okay, stop. You're just getting more traumatized, mm. more upset. We need to get this stabilized so you can actually talk without getting upset so that we then can, you know, it can be processed in prayer. But the first thing we need to do is stabilize and actually give the support. Be prepared to walk alongside. Be prepared to have the relationships, because actually, until we do that, we cannot be a healing community. Got you. So that's one of the things I really wanted to say that the, the we have to get this right. Yeah, yeah. We can't just dive in. And, and when people are carrying wounds and so on, they need safety first. And actually, they don't need someone prying or asking for their story or whatever. When it's right, it'll be right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that leads on to something else then that you've been talking about. I'm hearing more and more stories of churches whereby they say, oh, we need counsellors. So they put them on their own counselling courses and things like that. What have you heard that's good or bad about it? I, I think the Christian, the Christian world has got to realise that if you're going to do something like this, you've got to have the highest standards possible. Mm -hmm. And so courses that are put on really have to be, have to take into account the fact that there's one heck of a lot of knowledge out there in the secular world now. Mm -hmm. And the secular world has been leading the counseling psychotherapeutic world for the last hundred years or so. And a, there's a lot of expertise out there. And I think that Providing those courses are meeting the highest possible criteria, that's fine. But it's my general experience of Christian counselling has not been very good. Why is that? Well, I'll give you an example. And I, I, I think things have improved now dramatically. Um, but for example, um, if you're going to train to become a member of the United Kingdom Council of Psychotherapy, you have to have a minimum of 160 hours personal therapy that you've done yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, four years once a week, effectively. Where some of the courses are only asking for 20 hours in total. It, 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 you know, it doesn't make sense to me. The Christian world should have the higher standards, higher than the secular standards. I'm glad you said that because I remember, oh, several years ago now, I was challenged 
having had to give up work to go after my wife, that I should see what God is saying. And I thought, well, maybe go into psychotherapy or, or whatever, become a therapist. And I phoned up the local university and she was fantastic. But it was like 30 hour a week, plus all the other uh, homeworks you have to do and everything else like that. I wouldn't have had time to do it. And it was on a three-year course. Yes. You know, unless you had A-levels or something else like that or another qualification, which I clearly used, uh, you know, you have to do a foundation course as well. And yet I'm seeing some churches offer these courses as if, oh, wow, you just have to do a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there a week, and everything's going to be fine. I, I think there is a big difference. It's, it's, a, it's a bit like the medical profession in some ways because psychotherapy, in the, in, certainly in England, is classified as a medical intervention. Mm -hmm. it, it's a bit like the medical world in some ways. You can do a course, uh, for example, in you know, or something about nutrition or something to keep, keep yourself well. There's a big difference between that and actually training to be a medical doctor. Yes. The, you know, with, with psychotherapy, those who train to be psychotherapists are at one end of the mental, mental health spectrum who, who have to deal with a lot of stuff. But the other end is, you know, there are there are courses about, you know, good things to keep yourself mentally healthy and everything else and so on. And I, and I applaud those. But I think where the difficulty comes is if, you know, people are coming to, say, less well-trained people with really serious problems and they're out of their depth and they don't know what they're doing. Yes. And I think that's problematical. But I do think that the psychotherapeutic world really does need to inform the church to a certain degree about how you actually then look after you know those who are mentally ill or how do you minister to them in a church environment because we need to do things that are positive and health giving not destructive yes you know i mean i've come across for example many a time people trying to cast out demons out of obviously mentally ill people now that is very bad news because it gives the person who's at the receiving end the idea that part of them is extremely evil and needs to be got rid of Yes. But actually, that may not be the case. It may be simply trauma coming through in a particular kind of way. And so by using deliverance ministry, actually, you're causing splits in the personality and doing more harm than good. So I think we have to be really careful and you know walk with wisdom in these areas. That was my concern, I think, because you do hear stories on Every church, you'll hear stories how someone was coming immediately, prayed over that person to deliver the, the demon or whatever it was. And yet what you're saying here really is, no, that is a specific thing that should be handled, first of all and foremost, by someone who's qualified. Yeah. Because it could be a psychotherapy thing. It might not be. It might not be. Um, and I do think that, yeah, we just need a lot more wisdom in this area. But I think the thing that really bugs me about this is that the responsibility of the whole church of each individual person to realize that actually the relationships they form within that church are of critical importance. You know, Jesus was quite clear, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah. The two go together. You can't separate them out. So you have to have that connection. That connection has to be there. If you do not have that connection, you're not going to have the necessary support. Mm -hmm. And that really has to be there. Yeah. yeah. Not easy. My title that I, I gave to you, I can't have mental health issues as I'm a Christian. How relevant is that today, do you think, from people that you've, you've met? The vast majority of the people I meet recognise that actually anybody can have mental health issues. And it has, and it has to be realised. But there are some segments of, of, of the Christian church, I know, that seem to treat you know, mental health as something that... I don't know. They seem to treat, treat it as something demonic. 
even today, uh, in this day and age, I, I do know instances of that. And I kind of think that people really do have to wake up. But how can they wake up if they're not aware of what's going on, though? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the question is, I, I think church leaders have a responsibility, you know, to kind of see things in terms of the wider society as well. And if they're still failing to see the relevance of mental health in this day and age, I really have a question mark. I mean, in all honesty. Yes. It, it, it's a bit like saying, I don't believe in physical illness. And the, and the truth is that actually mental health is one of the key areas now. Hmm. And how we address it and what we do is really important. Just a matter of interest, because, you know, often we've been told, well, look in the Bible, you find the answers. They wouldn't have known what mental health was or what it was called way back 2,000 years ago. But what areas of mental health can we see? I disagree. I disagree totally. Good. Well, tell us all then, please. I totally disagree. Somebody said that to me recently. They said, well, can't find anywhere in the Bible where it talks about mental health. I said, I'm sorry, the whole Bible talks about mental health. He said, what? I said, yes, because what is the Bible really about? It's about relationships, and it's about relationships with God, relationships with each other. That's entirely about mental health. The whole Bible is a, is a recipe in terms of, of living and actually how you deal with these things. Now, okay, it doesn't have the specifics in terms of physical health, like you have an anaesthetic and then you have a surgeon and then you do this and you do that. I don't find that in the Bible either. But it does have the basic principle. The basic principles are relationships and how you actually operate with the love of God. And what did that person say then after, <laughs> after he'd been knocked to the floor? <laughs> <laughs> well, they looked at me slightly askance. You can see that they, didn't, they didn't, hadn't quite realised that that was what it was really about. And that the whole relational aspect of life is actually what gives mental health. And actually, if, you, and if we just looked at the Bible and said, look, how do you actually live? How do you actually work this? Things would be an awful lot easier. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> of course, I knew that all the time. Was just... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going to your question, then prayer, mental health. Yeah, tell, well, tell me more. I've answered it to a certain degree. First of all, be really, I think we need to be really careful that actually we deal with safety and stabilisation first. And that means praying in a particular kind of way often. It's not praying that God kind of sorts out the deep hurts and wounds, though God may well do that. It's really praying that that person knows that they are supported and held by God. Mm -hmm. So I'd be really careful these days of praying into a kind of someone's deep psychological wounds because actually i don't think that's what it's about i think it's actually praying that that person knows the safety of god and the safety actually of people around them because that's how that safety of god is going to be expressed with how other people love and care for them and so that's number one really and probably the most important Looking at some of some, I was, I was flicking back through some, some of the books I've got on psycho, psychotherapy and so on. Do you know, if you have that safety and stabilization over a period of time, the reality is that, that a lot of mental health issues would probably solve themselves. Mm. But that safety is very easily shaken. And I think that some of the churches have to watch their language on judgment and they need to watch their language. We need to be very careful about not condemning and making sure that actually we emphasize the incredible love and grace of God and actually 
the open arms of God as well. And actually show that with one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why then, if it's going to resolve naturally, let's say if that's the right word? Well, I think it will in some cases, not in every case. Yeah. But I think in, in some cases, there will need to be kind of uh, processing and processing of the memories, processing of the emotions, and then integration. But, but I think for some people, just having that safety and stabilization would be very good. But the problem we've got is that actually churches don't tend to be places of safety and stabilization. No. And that's really difficult. And we've, and I think, therefore, you know, we've really got to do a lot of teaching or a lot of teaching has got to happen in churches about how we actually form relationships. Yep. How we walk together, how we are then kind of, you know, develop those relationships in such a way that they're health giving and they're not toxic. What you're saying sounds very, very easy. <laughs> Stabilisation and safety. Right, yeah, we'll yeah, sort yeah. this out tomorrow. But how can you actually do that, though, Pete? Well, I think you're going to start by, by looking quite carefully at the relationships. You start with the relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. What kind of relationship is it? What do I expect from God? Then you're going to look at the relationships of one another and say, okay, so what do we expect from one another? What, what is the love that actually we're supposed to have? Mm -hmm. And how does that work? And how are we going to facilitate that to work? What's interesting, of course, is, is that the churches who've done, in a sense, who've come through COVID, as far as I can see, in the best shape, are those who had those relational aspects to them. Mm -hmm. And actually, that could support and take, take one another through it. You know, we have to talk a lot more about how relationships work in the church. I, do you know, I don't think I've heard, I'm trying to think whether I've heard one sermon on actually how relationships should work in the church. Even in a sense, how relationships work with Christ and actually getting the balance right between where do you get to the point in terms of thinking about some of the traditional concepts of faith in terms of sin, forgiveness, acceptance? You know, how does all that work? And how does it work practically? You know, how do we experience God? Mm -hmm. how, do, you know, how do we work it through? And with some of the difficulties. Do you know, I mean, I, I think one of the people I really like on this is Pete Gregg, of course, because some of his more recent stuff is absolutely is very interesting because he struggles with it. In what way? Well, I mean, it's, it's no secret because he says, you know, his, his wife, Pete Gregg's wife, has been ill for a long time. Apparently so. And, you know, he really struggles with un unanswered prayer. And he, and he wrote a very good book on it. And I, and I do like the way he tackles some of these issues. And, and that is a lot of the relational stuff that we actually really need to address. Hmm. We've been trying to do this, though, for, I suppose, 2,000 years, going back to that, to that one. And the past 30, 40 years, okay, it's been great. Psychotherapy therapy has finally been proven in the UK that it's actually really good and it works. It's taken a long time for that to happen, mind. Yeah. So what can we do then to make it really work within the church? Right. And I think it's a very, very big question. And I don't pretend for a minute to have the answers. I think we're going to look at what are the key points that actually psychotherapy has been saying over the last hundred years that actually really impact how we do church. Mm -hmm. And I would say, first of all, it really should impact how we do relationships. And secondly, it should really impact the practice of how we actually pray for and look after 
you know, one another and particularly those who have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these things that you just got to keep looking at and working at. There's going to be no kind of eureka necessarily answers and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But we've got to start addressing the issue and looking at it quite carefully. Okay. I mean, it's all there biblically, to be honest. So you say. (laughs) I was being facetious. Give us an example, please. Okay. Commitment. Uh Uh-huh. Who else would be committed to 12 people, some of whom were obviously completely kind of, to say the least, emotionally, uh, had emotional problems? Matthew, you know, Peter, James and John. I mean, just the sheer commitment of Christ Mm. to stay with that 12. Mm -hmm. You know, he must have been tearing his hair out at times. But he had that basic commitment to love them. Yes. And stay with them. So, for example, I'm not a fan necessarily of people jump, going from one church to another. I think there are circumstances under which it is appropriate. Mm-hmm. However, what I'm really saying is the commitment and relationship of relationships to one another, you've got to take as read because it's the same commitment that Christ has to you. Mm-hmm. So we, we have to be careful about, you know, we, and we have to take that commitment and say, how are we practically going to work at it? And it's going to be different for each person and different for each community. But we've got to look at it. And I have to be honest, I think this is this is just going to be an ongoing process. But it's those churches that actually grapple with these, I think, with, with the gospel in this way, that I think are going to be the places that where we see actually people coming to Christ because it's actually genuinely good news. Yeah, it's one thing, though, isn't it, to keep looking at things and not do anything about it. And then for someone to actually do something about it. You know, the title here is Prayer and Mental Health. Yeah. So I've given you one, given you one very practical thing about prayer. Go for it. Well, I, I, I said this already. Prayer actually has to be about safety and stabilization. Yes. And actually, we, we simply have to be used to the fact that we do not take people into trauma if they're going to get re-traumatized. So number one, these, this is basic safety stuff. We know it in terms of physical health. You don't jump up and down on somebody's arm. You break. Right? <laughs> yes. Same thing in mental health. You don't actually say to you know ask someone what their story is, and if they're getting upset, allow them to continue. You basically have to realise that the key thing around mental health is stability and stabilisation. That's number one. And so when we pray for people with mental health issues, we are predominantly praying actually. Lord, let them know your security and your peace. We're not going into the story. Mm-hmm. Not until that, per- that person feels genuinely safe and stable. Same thing in small groups and so on. You know, we're just careful that actually people don't run away with their stories, re-traumatize. We're actually talking about safety and stabilization. Not very exciting, but essential. Yeah, yeah. Same way, don't jump up and down somebody on, on somebody, you know, if you're praying for healing. Same thing. Yeah. But these are the basics. But actually, the church doesn't even know the basics. Yes. The second thing is, is to realize that healing, mental health healing in the main, flows relationally. So it flows in the context of the relationships that actually are formed within, within the church. Mm-hmm. That is both with Christ and with one another. So if we're going to be a place that is actually a church that is a place of healing and of safety, then actually we have to have, say also 
it's a place where relationally people will stand and walk with you. Yes. They won't drop you like a hot potato if you suddenly disagree, for example. You hope not. No, well, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. That's exactly the point I'm making. You hope not. That's the reality, though, that actually we're taking the commitment of Christ to me is the same commitment we take to one another. Yes. Blimey, I've known you for enough years. That's enough commitment. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> yeah, 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 quite, quite, quite. But it's, but it's that kind of commitment. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's what we sign up for. That's what we sign up for. That kind of commitment to Christ and to one another. That's not kind of airy-fairy Christianity. That's brutal. Yes. That's saying we're going to stick, we're going to stick with one another, come what may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the prayer side, though, mm-hmm. let's turn it around and look at the person that actually does have the mental health issues. Sure. What can that person pray for or pray about or something else for instance in terms of what they realize they've got an issue yeah sure so and this is my wording there's no magic bullet theory for like just take a tablet everything fine love sort of thing nothing like that right we now know about stabilization security we now know that we've got to show them love but we also know that there is such a thing as a christian called prayer yeah and that prayer works yes so what could the person pray for or what kind of prayer should they receive? Well, in terms of the individual, if one has mental health problems, then actually the issue is really, in terms of prayer, it's knowing the love of God. And so actually it's, Lord, please just show me your love and care. Now, that may, that may be an impossible prayer because mm-hmm. I've known many people with major depression, who that prayer would be an absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. Why though? Because they couldn't feel, they couldn't, they couldn't actually register. In fact, prayer becomes a, a bit of a nonsense, really, because it God seems to disappear. Yeah. And often, the only way they know that they are loved is if is by other people. Yes. And other people being there. So there has to be that kind of commitment within the Christian community, and that's radical. And so that kind of commitment has to be there. So I think in terms of what people pray for themselves, I think they simply pray whatever they think is appropriate. But I'm a great believer in actually simply praying for the love of God and letting God get on with it. Because? Because I think the love of God, I watch the love of God bring more people to healing than almost anything else. And actually, it's just the gentle love of God releases things in his time and at his pace. So I'm a great believer in it. So that's that's in terms of the individual. In terms of the church, uh, how the church prays, I think the top priority, as I said, I'm going blue in the face, is safety and stabilisation, which means praying that actually God supports them and keeps them and surrounds them. And that's the number one. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be quite worldly wise. I think we have to know whether we're talking about specific prayer with individuals we have to know whether people are on medication and there are some forms of mental illness where people are going to be permanently on medication various types of schizophrenia and so on Mm. that that's okay and i think we have to be careful how we pray for healing i mean god knows what he's doing it's it's not the problem that god doesn't know what he's doing it's that we don't know what we're doing sometimes and actually realizing that it's a lot safer 
put people into God's hands than for us to rabbit on with all sorts of words. So I'm a great believer in actually not using too many words in prayer with those mental health issues, but actually bringing them before God, asking for God to bless them, surround them and keep them and protect them. Yes. Let's take a, a house group, for instance. Yep, yep. And someone's turned up and might have been going there for six months, but once a week and obviously the house group leader would think, oh, I know this person really well. But in fact, actually, you don't. You only see them for like a, an hour. And even then, you might have talked to them for five minutes before and five minutes afterwards. So oh, yeah. you don't really know. But anyway, that's the scenario. Mm-hmm. This person comes in, suddenly traumatised, whatever, feels that they're safe, right? And there's security here. Stabilisation feels okay. And wants to share... My concern is now is that people might go, well, I'm, I'm not qualified to pray about this, so I can't do it. You know, I, I can't give out medication because I'm not a doctor. No. What can they do? Right. Again, I go back to the very simple prayer. You simply pray the love of God on them. You don't need to be qualified to do, you know, degrees in this, that and the other to do that. You just need the basic love and care. And if we just stuck with doing basic love and care, then I think we'd be an awful lot further forward. I mean, would it be rude for me to suggest you could say that in 10 words or less? Yeah. Well, it would be rude for me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's fine. Yeah, just pray God's love and protection on them. So why haven't we been doing this then? Because we see so many things going on in church. You would have thought this was blazingly obvious. Yeah. Actually, it isn't. You would have thought it was absolutely straightforward and absolutely obvious. For some reason, it isn't. And people don't realise that actually too many words, too much intervention is not good news. I remember several years ago being told a joke and the punchline was that even the dog belonging to this great evangelist went over and just raised its paw and <laughs> over the person that needed help. But maybe that's all that is needed to be done. And we have to realise that healing flows through relationship and actually just walking with people, being prepared to be with people, healing flows. Okay, it might not be sitting down and having great prayer for healing, but the fact that you're prepared to have a meal with someone, walk with them, whatever, healing flows. But that's the point. If somebody's prepared to play golf with you on the golf course, healing flows. Because I'm talking to that person. Because you're in connection with that person. And it was the connection word that started this all off. Correct. So it seems to me as if we've solved mental health issues within the church then, Pete. Well, no, we haven't solved them by a long shot, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is, is that, uh, yeah, it's not well treated. Can you honestly put your finger on t- as to why that is the case? I think the church has too often been too full of judgment and people feel judged coming in. Mm-hmm. I think that... The church very often has not emphasized enough the commitment of actually being with and walking with one another. And I think the church has not looked carefully enough at the dynamics of relationship, of how it actually works in terms of prayer and walking with Christ, and how that translates in terms of the kind of commitment we need to have for one another. Thank you. That's the answer. That's one of the answers, yes. <laughs> Not the definitive answer, this is one of them. So the alternative title, I can't have mental issues as I'm a Christian. How would you summarise that then? Yeah, that, that, that's delusional. You need help. Prayer and mental health, which was your title. Yeah. How would you summarise what we've shared? 
safety, stabilisation, walk with people. Brilliant. Sir, as always, fascinating to hear what you have to share. Thank you so much for that. Won't let you off the hook just yet, though, because people might say, oh, I need to contact this chap. He knows what he's talking about. So how can they get hold of you, sir, or your organisation, let's say? I, th- I think there's several things I'd say. First of all, because mental health is predominantly is worked out in terms of relationships with one another, and even in psychotherapy, it's the relationship with a the therapist that's key. What I really, if people need professional help, go to the BACP or the UKCP websites and they will find lists of therapists there that they can actually get hold of. That's by far the best way to do this if they need professional help. In terms of the church, there's one or two courses that have come out recently. The Sanctuary course is very good in terms of mental health for churches and that's probably the best way to go. So I, I kind of think, well, there's not a great deal of point in contacting me directly. You, you can do through the website. That's fine. My website, you just look up Peter Mockford and then you'll find, you know, psychotherapist up there. And I'll do the best I can to answer the questions. But you do have to realise that actually, because psychotherapy is relationally based, probably if you need a therapist, finding one locally. Yeah, yeah. And does it matter if you go to see a Christian therapist or a secular therapist? No. Because? Because fundamentally, okay, this is this is my personal feeling and it's a completely separate kind of topic. I actually think that the roots of psychotherapy and counselling are to a large degree Christian. Most of the founding members of, of psychotherapy and psychology and psychiatry were either from a Jewish or Christian background. Okay. But that's a separate conversation. Yeah, it is, yeah. But, but the basic principles are there, be it secular or be it Christian. It's about acceptance, you know, if, if they are qualified, you know, should know really what they're doing with it. So I, I would say it actually doesn't matter too much. If you need help, you need help. You don't ask your doctor whether he's a Christian, do you? I was waiting for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just about to go down on the operating theatre. Excuse me, I've got a checklist here. Yeah. Which church do you go to, sir? Yeah. Yes, quite. And then what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned as well, uh, obviously... You've got courses running throughout the year and you're helping out leaders. Yeah. For the leaders that are listening at the moment, if they want to go on a course, when's your next course, sir? And what's it about? We're doing one in uh, the end of September in Taunton and we're doing that on ministry and prayer and mental health. So, yeah, I mean, do contact us through the website for that and then I can send the details. Brilliant. Peter Mockford, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, a f- phenomenal time and uh, hopefully people will want to read up on what you're sharing and remember what you're saying as well about stabilization safety and the c word yeah blessings sir thank you peter cheers thank you god bless Bye. bye bye